Good evening, Patriots. And it's the end of Wednesday, August, August 2nd in the year 2023. Tonight, we're going to dig into the U.S. Constitution. And I don't think on this channel, believe it or not, I have ever read the U.S. Constitution. And so we're going to do that tonight. This is all part of a greater building of knowledge that we need to have in order to move into this next phase to be able to really reclaim our sovereignty. And that is so important because these psychopaths truly don't want us to own anything. They want us to eat bugs and they want us to be happy. And it ain't going to happen. Let's be clear. Patriots, before we get going, air purification and air quality in your home is super important. And I've come to appreciate this a whole lot more ever since I've picked up the EK Pure unit from EnviroCleanse. It is an amazing unit. It is filters air. It actually just feels refreshing and cool when you step into the room. This is a unit that's American-made, 100%. was actually selected by the U.S. Department of Defense to filter the air in Navy ships. It's a great unit. And that unit uses a HEPA filter, which is a hospital-quality HEPA filter, along with a mineral filter. And it's able to filter out viruses, allergens, chemicals, and odors in the room. And it really does make a huge difference. You feel it the minute you step into the room. I've had mine running 24 hours a day. And it just runs there constantly and purifies the air. So it's absolutely fantastic. Now, if you head over to ekpure.com, ekpure.com, use your promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, you'll get 10% off. And then in addition to that, you're going to get a professional air quality monitor for free included. It's about $150 savings. It's a great, great bonus and great value. And that allows you to literally monitor the air quality and see for yourself just how much this unit does. It, it is an incredible unit, extremely well built, quiet, always runs in the background. You can't even hear it. And there's different speeds too. So you can change that air quality speed, the air refresh rate in the room as you wish, whatever works for you. So check these out. This is one of these things, like I said, that I haven't really cons- put a lot of emphasis on, especially since COVID con, but uh, I've found it to be extremely important and it does make a big difference. So you, I think you'll be really satisfied. So again, ekpure.com, promo code BARDS, 10% off, and a free air quality monitor that goes with it. So it's pretty awesome. Well, probably one of our most important documents that we have is the U.S. Constitution. And we refer to it all the time. And it's interesting because people refer to the Constitution a great deal, but I don't think they read it much, if ever. And... So when I talk about the documents, the most important document we have to begin with, which we already read night before last, which is the Declaration of Independence. And it's important to understand why that document is so important to precede the U.S. Constitution. Declaration of Independence establishes moral law and our authorities in a common law nature as sovereigns that we are supposed to uphold to ensure that our country retains its position and framework as a moral law country, which means we have the duty to throw off such forms of government that become despotism or despotic tyranny. Now, the U.S. Constitution was established, is what established America's national government, and it establishes the fundamental laws, and it guaranteed certain basic rights for all its citizens. It was signed on September 17th, 1787, by delegates of the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia. 
At that time, Philadelphia was actually a nice city to live in, unlike today. Under America's first governing document, the Articles of Confederation, which has preceded the Constitution, the national government at that time was weak and the states operated much more like independent countries. And so there was a decision made to improve the form of government, to give it a, a weightier federal government. But that was not in the liking of everybody. Now, in, 18, in 1787, delegates devised a plan for a stronger federal government with three branches, executive, legislative, and judicial. And you'll remember that it's been probably a year and a half or two, but we were doing the Federalist Papers early in the morning. The Federalist Papers are worth going through because they map out that whole argument of why they wanted to get a stronger federal government. And like I said, not everybody agreed. And so with the stronger government in the executive, legislative, and judicial they also set up a system of checks and balances to ensure a single branch would, ha- would, have, would not have too much power over the other. Obviously, where we are right now, when nobody cares about the Constitution and they just run roughshod over it, it's not working. They've thrown the Constitution out. And we, the people, and that's why we default back to the Declaration of Independence, have the duty to throw off this form of government and reset that form of government. Now, the preamble to the U.S. Constitution outlines the Constitution's purpose and guiding principles. So here's how it reads in the preamble. The Bill of Rights, I'm sorry, that's that's not it right there. So let me go over here to the, here we go, the preamble. The preamble reads, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our prosperity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Now, I want to break this down a little bit because understanding the Declaration of Independence is critical to dissecting this. And that's why we went over the Declaration of Independence the other night. It's very important to realize that this is a we the people document, not we the president, not we the, the, the elite. It's we the people. And with that, we are tasked under the common law and under as sovereigns of this nation with our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness given to us by God. We have been tasked to form a more perfect union. So this is where... God has given us our rights in the Declaration of Independence. And then we are now saying we, the people, obviously working under God, will build, form a more perfect union. To do that, we're going to establish justice. Again, we, the people, are doing this. Ensure domestic tranquility. That's we, the people. Provide for the common defense. That's we, the people. Promote the general welfare. That's we, the people. And secure the blessings. Where does the blessings come from for of liberty to ourselves? Where do the blessings come from? They come from God and our prosperity. So we are secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our prosperity. All that's coming from God. That means we humble ourselves before the throne, we pray, and we, and we worship the Father. And then it goes on, and this is where it says, do ordain and establish. So all those things beforehand are up to us do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. So this is now, we've all come together, we've agreed this is something we the people, and now we're going to establish these this constitution. 
Very powerful preamble and very, very deeply written. Now, just to give some backstory here, America's first constitution, the Articles of Confederation, and that's before the U.S. Constitution, was ratified in 1781, a time when the nation was loose, a loose confederation of states, each operating like independent countries. And that's where the Federalist Papers came in because they were trying to create a consolidated power in the federal government, at least to give it more power. We see where we are with that. It hasn't worked well. The national government was comprised of a single legislature. This is under the Articles of Confederation. The Congress of the Confederation. There was no president or judicial branch. Think about that. In the Articles of Confederation, there was no president or judicial branch. All of that was left to the states. The states were sovereign. They were individual countries, like sovereign republics. The Articles of Confederation gave Congress the power to govern foreign affairs, conduct war, and regulate currency. However, in reality, these powers were sharply limited because Congress had no authority to enforce its requests to the states for money or troops. And probably for good reason, because the federal government, once you start to feed it, it becomes like a cancer, and it grows and spreads like liquid diarrhea. Soon after America won its independence from Great Britain with its 1783 victory in the American Revolution, it became increasingly evident that the young republic republic needed a stronger central government in order to remain stable. In 1786, Alexander Hamilton, a lawyer and politician from New York, called for the Constitutional Convention to discuss the matter. The Confederation, the, the Confederation Congress which was the first government before the U.S. Constitution, which in February 1787 endorsed the idea, invited all 13 states to send delegates to a meeting in Philadelphia. So the colonies were now, what were the colonies now were states, and they were now invited to send delegates to this Constitutional Convention. On May 25th, 1787, the Constitutional Convention opened in Philadelphia, which you wouldn't do today unless you were shooting up Fentanyl opened in Philadelphia at the Pennsylvania State House, now known as Independence Hall, where the Declaration of Independence had been adopted 11 years earlier. There were 55 delegates in attendance representing all 13 states except Rhode Island, which refused to send representatives because it did not want a powerful central government interfering in its economic business. They probably were smart. George Washington, who had become a national hero after leading the Continental Army to victory during the American Revolution, was selected as president of the convention by unanimous vote. The delegates, who also became known as the framers of the Constitution, were all all a well-educated group that included merchants, farmers, bankers, and lawyers. Many had served in the Continental Army colonial legislatures, and the Continental Congress, known as the Congress of the Confederation as of 1781. So important to look at that. Every single person in that group was tied to actively doing things. There was no internet, obviously. They didn't live in cubicles. They were doing things. They had a wide variety of of skilled people, including farmers and merchants, which was important, and many of them had been in the bloody fights of the Revolution. All of them had experienced war. Very important because that visceral reality was with them and they understood very clearly what was at stake. 
In terms of religious affiliation, this is important, most were Protestants. Eighteen del- eight delegates were signers of the Declaration of Independence, while six had signed the Articles of Confederation. At age 81, Pennsylvania's Benjamin Franklin, who died in 1790, was the oldest delegate, while the majority of the delegates were in their 30s and 40s. Political leaders not in attendance at the convention included Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, who were serving as U.S. ambassadors in Europe, John Jay, who was our first Supreme Court justice, and he may have actually been involved in the, doing the treaty with England at that time, Samuel Adams and John Hancock were also absent from the convention. This isn't a big one. Virginia's Patrick Henry was chosen to be a delegate but refused to attend the convention because he didn't want to give the central government more power, fearing it would endanger the rights of states and individuals. Now remember, the Bill of Rights was not established yet, and Patrick Henry did not like what he was seeing with the Constitution. So he chose to step out. This is a man that was really fundamental to the entire concept of liberty in this country. So it kind of gives you the level of of discontent and protest that was happening among some of the original signers. And obviously things weren't all perfect in the garden anymore. Reporters and other visitors were barred from the convention sessions. You imagine what that would do today? They'd, they'd be calling everybody fascist and white white supremacist, which were held in secret to avoid outside pressures. However, Virginia's James Madison kept a detailed account of the transpired of what transpired behind closed doors. And just as a side note, in 1837, Madison's widowed, widow Dolly sold some of his papers, including his notes from the convention debates to the federal government for $30,000, which would be probably like $3 million today. The delegates had been tasked by Congress with amending the Articles of Confederation. That was their original tasking. However, they soon began began deliberating proposals for an entirely new form of government. After the intensive debate, which continued throughout the summer of 1787, and at times threatened to derail the proceedings, they developed a plan to establish three branches of national government, executive, legislative, and judicial. A system of checks and balances was put into place so that no single branch would have too much authority. The specific powers and responsibilities of each branch were also laid out. All of that was based on a moral foundation of a nation. Remember, most of them were Protestants. They were they were good men of God. They believed in Jesus. That's how they were approaching this government. They weren't worshiping Luciferians. They weren't raping children. And they didn't have some sort of distorted view of being kings and gods themselves. In fact, they had hoard all that. Now, among the more contentious issues was the question of state representation in the national legislature. Delegates from larger states wanted population to determine how many representatives a state could send to Congress, while small states called for equal representation. The issue was resolved by the Connecticut, what they call the Connecticut Compromise, which proposed a bicameral legislature, which with proportional representation of the states in the lower house, which is the House of of representatives, 
and equal representation in the upper house, the Senate. To imagine that these guys were coming together and forming this level of government is unbelievable. This, these are genius people, well-read, understanding a lot of history. And we read the Federalist Papers, a great deal of history, understanding how what worked and what didn't work, well-read in Scripture. These men were truly men of God and truly men of intellect that had at their heart to do what was best for a new burgeoning republic. They weren't out. Each were fighting passionately, arguing passionately for their ideas. And what I've said many times today, most people wouldn't be able to be in the room with them. They would get so uncomfortable. And especially if you take some of this new generation, they'd be out here screaming, I'm triggered, and and they would have to go find a safe space. So another controversial topic was slavery. And although some northern states had already started to outlaw the practice, they were long, they went along with the southern states' insistence that slavery was an issue for individual states to decide and should be kept out of the Constitution. Many northern delegates believed that without agreeing to this, the South wouldn't join the Union for the purpose of taxation and determining how many representative states a state could send to Congress, it was decided that enslaved people would be counted as three-fifths of a person. Additionally, it was agreed that Congress wouldn't be allowed to prohibit the slave trade before 1808, and states were required to return fugitive, return fugitive enslaved people to their owners. This is probably one of the darkest parts of our history, and it had to do with the elite that were still owning slaves. Remember, in the South, slave ownership was consolidated in a minority few. And while there were slaves, the minority few were hanging on to this. My personal theory is they were setting up for the Civil War even here, that they had all intention of not letting that happen, and most of these people had no intention of really having the ideas of what were valued in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. And I think that this part here is what set the conditions ultimately for the Civil War not because he had slaves, but because this was a setup to make the Civil War happen. And we'll talk about that later on. So, by September of 1787, the convention's five-member committee of style, that's what it was called, Hamilton, Madison, William Samuel Johnson of Connecticut, Governor Morris of New York, Rufus King of Massachusetts had drafted the final text of the Constitution, which consisted of some 4,200 words. On September 17th, George Washington was the first to sign the document. Of the 55 delegates, a total of 39 signed. Some had already left Philadelphia and three, George Mason and Edmund Randolph of Virginia and Elder or Eldbridge, Gary of Massachusetts refused to approve the document. In order for the Constitution to become law, it then had to be ratified by nine of the 13 states. James Madison and Alexander Hamilton, with the insistence from John Jay, this is where the Federalist Papers come in, wrote a series of essays to persuade people to ratify the Constitution. But this is the interesting thing is they wrote those articles anonymously and were not revealed who they were until the early 1800s, which tells you that this was a very contentious thing and it also puts them a bit suspect as what their motives were. The 85 essays known collectively as the Federalist or the Federalist Papers detailed how the new government would work and were published under pseudonyms 
Publius, Latin for public, in newspapers across the states starting in the fall of 1787. People who supported the Constitution became known as Federalists, while those who opposed it became because they they thought it would give too much power to a national government were called Anti-Federalists. If we look at what's happened today, I'd argue that the Anti-Federalists were right. Nonetheless, this is our this is our law of the land. The document is the Constitution of the United States. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote a, the general welfare, and secure the blessings and liberty, blessings of liberty to ourselves and our prosperity. So all of those things said right there, that's we the people doing that do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. Now that we have ordained it as the people, and that's why it had to be ratified by each of the states. Article 1, that's the preamble. Article 1, all legislative powers, and this is Article 1, Section 1, all article, all legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in Congress, in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives. Section 2, the House of Representatives shall be composed of members chosen every second year by the people of the several states and the electors in each state shall have the qualifications requisite for electors of the most numerous branch of the state of state legislature. No person shall be a representative who shall not have attained to the age of 25 years and been seen seven years a citizen of the United States, and shall not, when elected, be an inhabitant of the state in which he shall be chosen. Representatives and direct taxes shall be apportioned along with several states which may be included within its this union, according to their respective numbers, which shall be determined by adding the whole number of free persons, including those bound to service for a term of years and excluding Indians not taxed, three-fifths of all persons, three-fifths of all other persons, that's the slaves. The actual enumeration shall be made within three years after the first meeting of the Congress of the United States and with every subsequent term of 10 years in such manner that they shall by law direct. The number of representatives shall not exceed one for every 30,000, but, but each state shall have at least one representative, and until, until such enumeration shall be made, the state of New Hampshire shall be entitled to choose three, Massachusetts eight, Rhode Island and, and Providence Plantations one, Connecticut five, New York six, New Jersey four, Pennsylvania eight, Delaware one, Maryland six, Virginia 10, North Carolina 5, South Carolina 5, and Georgia 3. When vacancies happen in the representation from any state, the executive authority thereof shall issue writs of election to fill such vacancies. The House of Representatives shall choose their speaker and other officers and shall have the sole power of impeachment. Section 3, the Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state chosen by the legislature thereof for a 
six years, and each senator shall have one vote. Immediately after, they shall be assembled in the in consequence of this first election. They shall be divided as equally as many be in three classes. The seats of the senators of the first class shall be vacated at the expiration of the second year, of the second class of the, at the expiration of the fourth year, and the third class at the expiration of the sixth year, so that one-third may be chosen every second year. And if vacancies happen by resignation or otherwise during the recess of the legislature of any state, the executive there thereof may make temporary appointments until the next meeting of the legislature, which shall then fill such vacancies. So there's always one third of the Senate every two years that's being reelected. And the House is being reelected kind of in a similar rotation, but their, their tenure is only two years. No person shall be a senator who shall not have attained to the age of 30 years and be, been nine years a citizen of the United States and who shall not, when elected, be an inhabitant of that state for which he shall be chosen. In other words, they have to relocate. The Senate shall choose their other officers and also a president pro tempore in the absence of the vice president and when he shall exercise the office of president of the United States or when he shall exercise the office of the United States. The Senate shall have the sole power to try all impeachments when sitting for the purpose they shall be an oath or affirmation. When the president of the United States is tried, the chief justice shall preside and no person shall be convicted without the concurrence of two-thirds of the members present. We went through that garbage with President Trump twice. Judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than the removal from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States. But the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to the law. So isn't that interesting? So in case of impeachment... The person has just basically said they can be removed from office and disqualified from future offices, but the party is the one that's held accountable legally. Section 4, the times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof, but the Congress may at any time by law make or alter such regulations except as to, play to the places of choosing senators. The Congress shall assemble at least once in every year, and such meetings shall be on the first Monday in December, unless they shall by law appoint a different day. So Congress in this place has an ability to override states' way of electing, which is kind of a big deal. That changes, that's one of the contentional issues because states were very much wanting to be sovereign. Each state, this is section five, each state shall be the judge of the elections, returns and qualifications of its own members, and a majority of each shall constitute a quorum to do business, but smaller number make adjourn, adjourn for the day by day and be authorized to compel the attendance of absent members in such manner and under such penalties as each house may provide. 
Each house may determine the rules of its proceedings, punish its members for disorderly behavior, and with the concurrence of two-thirds, expel a member. Each house shall keep a journal of its proceedings and from time to time publish the same, accepting such parts as many of their judgment requires secrecy. And the yeas and the nays of the members of either house on any question shall, at the desire of the fifth of the, of the present, be entered in on the journal. Neither house during the session of Congress shall, without the consent of the other, adjourn for more than three days, nor to any other place than that which the two houses have or shall be sitting. Section 6. Senators and representatives shall receive a compensation for their services to be ascertained by law and paid out of the Treasury of the United States. They shall in all cases, except treason, felony, and breach of the peace, be privileged from arrest during the attendance at the session of their respective houses. Now, that's important to understand. I'll finish this and I'll come back. And in going to and returning from the same, and for any speech or debate in either house, they shall not be questioned in any other place. So except for treason, felony, and breach of the peace. We have had all three of those, and nothing has ever happened to our senators and representatives. So you can get an idea how well our justice system is working. No senator or representative shall during the time for which he was elected be appointed to any civil office under the authority of the United States, which shall have been created or emollients whereof shall be, have been encased, increased during such time. And no person holding any office under the United States shall be a member of either house during the continuance in office. The only error they made here, which is they didn't forbid people from doing service in the United States and the main body government, like for five or 10 years after they were they left office. Section seven, all bills raising revenue shall originate in the House of Representatives by the Senate, may propose or concur with the amendments on other bills. Every bill shall have passed the House of Representatives and the Senate shall, before it become a law, be presented to the President of the United States. If he approves, he shall sign it. But if not, he shall return it and his objections to to that House in which he shall have originated, who shall enter the objections at large on the journal and proceed to reconsider it. This is civil law. This is when people work civilly with one another and they don't try to do silly things like prevent laws from being passed simply because they don't like a president. This is all about service here that we had in the early phases of this country versus where we are now. Going back, if after such reconsideration, two-thirds of that house shall agree to pass the bill, it shall be sent together with the objections to the other house by which it shall likewise be reconsidered, and if approved by two-thirds of that house, it shall become a law. But in all such cases, the votes of both houses shall be determined by yeas and nays, and the names of the persons voting for and against the bill shall be entered on the journal for each house respectively. If any bill shall not be, re- sh- shall not be returned by the president within 10 days, 
Sundays accepted after it shall have been presented to him, the same shall be be a law in like manner as if he had signed it unless the Congress by their adjournment prevent its return, in which case it shall not be law. In other words, he can set it aside after 10 days. If he doesn't sign it, it becomes law. If he sends it back, then they can pass it anyway using two-thirds vote in each house. Every order, resolution, or vote into which the concurrence of the Senate and House of Representatives may be necessary, except on a question of adjournment, shall be presented to the President of the United States, and before the same shall take effect, shall be approved by him, or being disapproved by him, shall be repassed by two-thirds of the Senate of the House or Representatives according to the rules and limitations prescribed in the case of a bill. Section 8. Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises, to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States by all duties, imposts, and excises shall be uniform throughout the United States. To borrow money on the credit of the United States, to these are the things they can do, to regulate commerce from foreign nations and among the several states and with Indian tribes, to establish a uniform rule of naturalization and a uniform laws on the subject of bankruptcies throughout the United States, to coin money, regulate the value thereof, and of foreign coin to fix the standard of weights and measures. This is Congress's job on money, not the Federal Reserve, because the Federal Reserve is a hijack of our entire system. To provide for the punishment of counterfeiting the securities and current coin of the United States. That was one of the Secret Service's first mandates. To establish post offices and post roads, promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing the for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive rights to their representative writings and discoveries. You never hear that talked about. To constitute tribunals inferior to the Supreme Court. To define and punish piracies and felonies committed on the high seas and offensives against the law of nations. To define and punish. That's interesting. To declare war, which apparently with executive order we can do that now. Grant letters of mark and reprisal and make rules concerning captures on land and water. To raise and support armies by no appropriation of money but no appropriation of money to the use shall be for a longer term than two years. So they can raise and support armies, but the army was not to be longer than two years, not like this permanent thing we have now. To provide and maintain a navy, to make rules for the government and regulation of the land and naval forces, to provide for the calling forth of the militia to ex- execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections, and re- repel invasions. That was the militia's job, which were anchored in the states. Now we have a, we came out of the Department of War from World War II, and now we have the Pentagon and the military industrial complex, which dreams each night of taking every MAGA patriot and every American-loving, God-fearing patriot and sticking them in a FEMA camp and turning their bodies into experimentations and organ harvesting. That's not in the Constitution, by the way. Just thought I'd throw that in. 
to provide for organizing, arming, and dis- disciplining the militia and for the governing and for governing such part of them as to pay may, as for them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states respectively the appointment of its officers and authority of training the militia according to the dis- discipline prescribed by Congress. Our military has always was supposed to be militia based, and we the people based. To exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district not exceeding 10 miles square as may by session of particular states and the acceptance of Congress become the seat of government of the United States and to exercise like authority over all places purchased by the consent of the legislator of the state in which the same shall be for the erection of forts magazines, arsenals, dockyards, and other needful buildings, and to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying out execution for carrying into execution the foregoing powers and all other powers vested in the Constitution and the government of the United States or the department or officer thereof. So right now, Congress is... The way we do this now is the Pentagon brings a bill, says we're going to build a bunch of bases. Congress doesn't read it. They say, how much money do you need? Pentagon says, well, we need like $500 billion. Congress says, how much do I get? They say, well, you are going to get a little cut. Don't worry about it. We'll make sure you've got little you know, condos over in Haiti, Tahiti or something. They say, okay, I'll pass it. What else are you going to give me? Uh, we'll make sure your family gets a nice little bonus and your kids will go to school free. Thanks, we agree and give you lots of money. That's the way our system works now, not like the Constitution. It's a mess. Section 9. The migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think proper to admit shall not be prohibited by the Congress prior to the year 1808 but a tax or duty may be imposed on such importation, not exceeding $10 for each person. The privilege of the writ of habeas corpus shall not be suspended unless when the cases of rebellion or invasion, the public safety may require it. So again, this is kind of gets us into the January 6th stuff. No bill of a tender or ex post facto shall be passed. No capital. Capitation or other direct tax shall be laid unless the proportion to the census and enumeration herein before directed by taken. No tax or duty shall be laid on articles exported from any state. No preference shall be given by any regulation of commerce revenue to the ports or uh, of one state over the other, nor shall vessels bound to and from the state be obliged to enter, clear, or pay duties to another. No money shall be drawn from the treasury, but in consequence of appropriations made by the law and a regular statement and account of the receipts and expenditures of the public money shall be published from time to time. In other words, they want transparency. No title of nobility shall be granted by the United States. No nobility and no person. That's why all you see all these people going to England so they can get their nobility title. And no person holding any office of profit or trust under them shall, without consent of the Congress, accept any present emolument, office, or title of any kind whatsoever from any king, prince, or foreign state. 
In other words, they don't want anybody bribed. So today, the way that would look is they have lobbyists, they put in their campaign funding, they get different ways to to find ways around this very constitutional idea so that they can buy Congress and own Congress. And if that doesn't work, then they just catch them in photographs with small kids and they blackmail them. It's pretty simple. Section 10, no state shall enter into any treaty, alliance, or confederation, grant letters of mark and reprisal, coin money, emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts, pass any bill or of attainer, ex post, ex post facto law, or law impairing the obligation of contracts and grants any title of nobility. No state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any imports or duties on imports or exports, except that they may absolutely necessary for executing its inspection, its inspection laws. And the net produce of all duties and imposts laid by any state on imports or exports shall be for the use of the Treasury of the United States, and all such laws shall be subject to revision and control of Congress." No state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any duty of tonnage, keep troops or ships of war in time of peace, enter any agreement or compact with any st- with another state or with a foreign power, or engage in war unless actively invaded, actually invaded in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. Now, that's the end of Article 1. Those last pieces are super important to appreciate because our states have started to act as their own business. They've gone direct to China. They've gone direct to other countries to build business and to set up treaties. We have states now that are engaged with the UN and encouraging the UN to come in and filter in. We have all sorts of criminal activity. Essentially, what we're reading through here is that pretty much everything that our Congress intended, our Constitution intended, isn't working. Now, Patriots, I'm going to continue tomorrow with Article 2, Article 3, Article 4, and I'll try to get through all Article through Article 7 tomorrow night. And we'll get through this Constitution in the next two nights, doing the amendments as well, so that we've covered the full Constitution, which I think is absolutely essential. I would encourage you to check out Chris Ann Hall's place and take the class she has on studying the Constitution. She has a fantastic class. And more than just reading it, as I'm doing here, and you're going to be able to get into more debate. But I I really feel it's important that we read this, hear it, and let it sink in, because these are our founding documents. These are the laws of the, this is the law of the land. And if you haven't taken time in your life to read it and study it, then we haven't done our job as patriots in this nation. We can't continue to move forward without truly understanding the Declaration of Independence, understanding the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and understanding how all of that is wrapped in an, in an umbrella of common law, which is the objective for Sunday. Tomorrow, I will have all the information for Clout Hub, and I'll start broadcasting that. Tomorrow and Friday and Saturday, you'll get information on Clout Hub's special event that we're putting on on Sunday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, and where you can go to find the link. And it will start, like I say, at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. That's with Jared Jackson. Jaron Jackson is going to give a 
full course and the course materials, which I didn't put up last night under the show. I will get them up tonight are posted on pinned on Telegram where you can find those course materials and Jaren's site. If you're not on Telegram, I'll get it up underneath tonight's podcast and earlier today so you can find it. You can sign up for free and get his course materials and start going through common law. All of this makes more sense, including our authorities and scripture of how we are supposed to walk as sovereigns when we understand how this all comes together under common law. All right, patriots, let's pray. Father, we are humbled today to be here and blessed to be able to be going through these documents, which are truly our founding documents of this nation, that give us such authority as to be sovereigns in this land under the authorities that you've given us and under the liberties which you've given us. Father, we pray truly that people will start to awaken to the fact that we've been hijacked and that we're not living under that principle as you intended But rather what we are doing is we are living under a surrogate who wants us to worship it rather than our eyes on you. So, Father, as we move forward here, we just continue to pray that people will have a discernment to realize that we have a choice. We're not obliged to obey any law that is not within our Constitution and any law that is not in alignment with you. So guide us in these hours, Father, and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Super important that we understand that we have the right to remind these people that it's not constitutional. Now, they use force and intimidation. That's what they do, police especially, and police have gotten worse because they don't know their constitution, they don't know their own laws, and they don't understand how their laws are often in conflict with the constitution, which makes what they do unconstitutional. And we have no obligation to follow anything that is unconstitutional. We have a long ways back to go in order for us to reset this nation. It's going to take a lot of time and education, and we have to each get smart on these things to be able to be part of that process to wake people up. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land, expand the kingdom, subdue the enemy, mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deep. Oh.